First Chronicles chapter 17. If you take your Bibles, join me. First Chronicles chapter 17. Uh, oftentimes we hear responses to things that we might be rather excited about and we share it with a friend or we share it with a coworker and their response to our excitement is less than exciting. Have you ever had something that you just knew uh, for example, husbands, have you, ever, have you ever, you know, I don't know, you found something that you thought this is going to be great and, and you take it and you're telling your wife about it and she's not as excited about whatever it is that you found as, um, as you are. Maybe you had some thought about work or some plan for church or some whatever, some idea that you just knew when you share this idea with whoever, they're going to be as excited about your plan or your idea or your thought as you are. And then have you ever, when you're explaining with excitement, whatever the plan is, whatever you found, whatever you're, you know, you're, you're setting forth as a possibility, and then the person that you're kind of waiting for their response, they start to respond and, you know, you're just kind of looking with excitement, you're ready to hear their excitement back and, and then they start to say, that's not a good idea and this is why we're not going to do that and and then the, the, I don't know, the light in your face begins to rapidly fade. The excitement that you came in with is not the excitement you're going to leave with. Some wonderful plan that you had that you just knew other people are going to be excited about, they did not receive it with the same excitement. There's a passage, it's interesting, in, in Acts chapter, I think it's Acts 17, that the Apostle Paul he essayed, he wanted to go to Bithynia. He wants to go there and share the gospel. And Paul knows if I go there and share the gospel, people are going to be saved, they're going to be discipled, churches will be planted, and he wanted to go. I can't help but think, and this is some speculation, but I can't help but think that the Apostle Paul must have told other people, his traveling companions, people along the way, Paul, where are you going next? I'll tell you where I want to go. And so the Apostle Paul has this plan, this desire, this focus, and it's a good plan. Who wouldn't want what the Apostle Paul's talking about? And then in, in the verses that follow, the Bible says that the Spirit suffered him not. God himself said no. Paul's got this great plan. Yeah, I'm telling you where I want to go because this is strategically the spot. I'm going to take the gospel here. It's going to go from there to there. To there. I mean, this is a good plan. And he's telling people, he's shoring up any, any weaknesses in the plan. And then the Spirit suffered him not. The, the Spirit said, no, you're not going to go there. And I don't know if the same expression across his face fell like it might yours or mine. But the one who has great excitement, even maybe as he's praying, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do when I finally get to. And then the Holy Spirit says, that's not where you're going. Have you ever had a good plan that, that God himself shoots down? And you wonder, like, God, th this is a good thing. I, I've, I've, in fact, th there might be some, because of course there's a, a lot of, um, there's a strong representation of college students here. Have you ever been, you know, working on that major and preparing for and, I mean, close to and I don't know if there's testimony like this in here or not, but maybe you got to your, 
I don't know, the start of your senior year, and God said, that's not what you're going to do. And you said, God, I, I thought that this was the plan, and, and you and I have talked about this, and, and now you're, you're, you're throwing, you know, th- this whole curveball into the plan, and, and I knew that this was where I was heading, and this was what I was going to do, and, or maybe you had those plans all set. I mean, maybe you're, you're a college student, and you're here, and you're a senior, and you knew what the, the future looked like. This is where I'm heading. This is what I'm doing. And, and the email came through recently, and, and that's not what you're going to be doing. Maybe you're further down the road, and you're starting to process, like, I, I always anticipated that God was going to have me do this, and my life was going to look like this, and these were the stops along the way, and this, this was how many children we were going to have, this was my life's occupation, this is when I'm going to retire, and, and all of these things, you just said, Lord, I'm submitting myself to you. These are the plans, and I, I submit them, Lord. I want what you want. But man, it just doesn't seem to turn out like you had anticipated you and God were going to see it unfold. The, the title of the message, for lack of a better title tonight, is When God Says No. And at times he does. At times He even says no to those things that we, quite frankly, can't anticipate anyone would say no to. God, why would you keep me from this? Why wouldn't you want this to unfold? I mean, I know you're a good God. I know you do all things well, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around why you don't want me to do this. What do you do when God says no? Now, I get it when, when we're heading in a direction that is a direction of our own choosing, when there's some, I don't know, some rebellious backing behind the decision. And it might not be this blatant rebellion, but clearly we're just doing our own thing. We want what we want. We're going to do what we're going to do. And I don't care what anybody says. This is my plan. I get it when God says no to that. And most of us understand it. Well, sir, sure, he was going to say no to that. I already knew he was going to say no. But quite frankly, that's not my concern. I'm not asking him, okay? He did give me a free will. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm not really asking. Because if I ask, I already know the answer. And, and, and some of us... You know, just from growing up, our own experiences, no, I'm not going to ask, because if I ask, I already know what the answer is going to be. So I'm just going to do instead of ask. I'm really not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person that is coming before God and saying, okay, God, this is where I sense you leading, and then God says, no. Your Bibles are open to 1 Chronicles 17. Look at verse number 1. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. In other words, it's, it's in a simple tent. Look at my house and look at where we have the ark of the covenant. Just prior to this, David moves the Ark of the Covenant. It it begins in one place. It goes to the house of Obed-Edom. It's blessed. And finally, David gets the Ark transferred correctly to Jerusalem. He says, but it's in a tent and I'm in a house of cedars. 
Verse number two, then Nathan said unto David, now listen to this, this is Nathan the prophet, Um, chronologically in the order of characters presented, this is the first time Nathan is presented, first time we read his name. We haven't gotten to the time where where Nathan's going to confront David about Bathsheba and Uriah. This is first mention of Nathan. Nathan said unto David, do all that's in thine heart, for God is with thee. I've got the go-ahead, David's thinking. God and I, were on the same team, we're on the same page, we're thinking the same way. Nathan, the prophet, said, go, do all that's in your heart. This is a good plan, David. Verse 3, and it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, go and tell David, my servant, thus saith the Lord. Now, this is not Nathan saying it, this is God. Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. Now, just quickly notice a couple things before we see how does David respond to this whole thing first of all he's got a good request this is a good request okay David's asking something that is not this rebel's heart he's not trying to you know keep something to himself he's not trying to build a name for himself he's saying hey listen God you've blessed me with a a kingdom with a dominion you've blessed me with the throne the the reign over your people Israel I could never have imagined this. And look at the place where I live. And I know where the ark is dwelling. The ark, the picture of the very presence of God. It's, it's under curtains. It's in a simple tent. So, so Lord, I, wanna, I want there to be something right, magnificent, something that's just, th- that you look at it and it's filled with splendor. I want this to be the place where the ark resides. This is a good desire. By the way, what David desired to build runs contrary. I, I, I'm not trying to build a, a, an exact parallel track, but it runs contrary to what sometimes people think um, a church shouldn't be. Like, I think that's too nice for a church. I, I think there can be things that are gaudy for churches, but I do think that a church should represent a couple things about the people that inhabit it. We had a brother that shared tonight about churches that are being established and built in in places around the world. And I think that those churches should reflect their culture. I think that those churches should reflect the demographic of the people. And I think that those churches, as they grow and are established, should be well uh, invested by the people that worship therein. They should represent those people, those gathering places well. Sometimes people, have you ever heard someone say, well, it's good enough for the church? It's a, it's a terrible expression. So we don't say, well, it's good enough, but the tent, it's good enough for the ark. Whoa, nobody would ever say that. Today, you and I are the literal dwelling place of Almighty God. So we, we care for the dwelling place today. That's your body. And I think we should rightly care for the assembling place of that local body. Well, David's got a good desire, and and I I think he expressed it well. Look look a little bit further. He's not only got a good request, he's also got a good friend, okay? This is early on. Again, we don't know a lot about Nathan at this point. In fact, Nathan is one of those guys that comes on the scene in these key moments, these key times, but he's got a good friend, and, and Nathan's mentioned here, he is a good friend, and we get that early on because he is willing to tell David those things that God says to tell him. 
Now, I don't know what kind of friends you have, but in my life, my friends are the people who tell me not only what I want to hear, but those things that I need to hear. If your circle of friends, and it doesn't matter who you are, or what age and stage of life you're in, if your circle of friends tells you only what you want to hear and not also what you need to hear, you need to expand your circle of friends. Do you have someone that knows you and loves you enough to say, hey, um, can I share something with you? I will also say this, this is true for, for, it's been true in my life, and it's been true at different stages or to different degrees, that's probably the best way to say, to different degrees in my life. So I'm just going to share this personally. The, the, the more you find yourself elevated in positions of leadership, the more crucial it is that you have people that will speak truth to you. One of the things that has the tendency to happen is, is the more you find yourself in different levels of leadership, the more you'll also find that people will tell you what you want to hear and not always what you need to hear. Where is David in his positional leadership pyramid? <laughs> he's at the pinnacle. Um, he's, he is um, an undefeated king. I mean, if David goes to battle, David wins. He is, a, he is a leader of leaders. When you start to think about the people who follow David, I mean, th this is an assembly of people who themselves could be kings, and they're coming underneath the leadership of King David. This guy... I'm telling you, he is at the peak of leadership, and he's got a, a, I don't know, a prophet who will tell him what he needs to hear. And it would be a little embarrassing as well for Nathan. Have you ever thought about that? Nathan has just told David, uh, David says, Nathan, I want to build a house for God. And Nathan says, wow, David, that's a great idea. Go build the house. The Lord is with you. And Nathan goes home that night, and the Lord says to Nathan, hey, you spoke a little prematurely. You said something you didn't have. You, you, did you talk to me about this? You just gave my stamp of approval for something that I'm not going to allow David to do. So Nathan, tomorrow you need to go back to David and have another conversation with him and tell him that he does not get to build the temple. That's, that's swallowing a little humble pie there for Nathan, right? But Nathan's willing to be instructed, and Nathan is not only willing to receive instruction, now Nathan's going to do what may even have been the more challenging part, he has to go and offer instruction. Listen, you and I should strive to be that friend that can both offer instruction and receive the same. If you say, no, I've only signed up for the giving instruction role, okay, Nathan both receives it and he offers it. David's got a good friend in Nathan. And by the way, Nathan's not only going to say things that David, you know, that he needed to hear. He's going to say some things that are going to be really hard for David to hear. Nathan will, will point his finger at David and say, David, thou art the man. You are the one who has brought this tragedy, this travesty of, of justice 
upon Israel. So Nathan's going to say some really important things. Look a little bit further. He's not only got the, David has a good request, he's got a good friend. Notice what else he has. He has a good response. He has a good response. I, th- I think this is important to at least acknowledge. At this point in David's life, the no that God gives David is not because David is a, a rebellious man. He's not living. He's not a perfect man. We know that. But he's not living a life of, of self-deception. He's not living this hypocritical life. David's not sinned with Bathsheba. This is not the point in David's life where he's trying to live a lie. He, he has been there before. He was there when he was living in Ziklag, in, in enemy territory, for almost a year and a half. He lives this lie. It was a lousy time for David. Okay, he's repented of that. He is back walking with God, serving God. He wants to do something wonderful for God. But, but now he's told, no, you, you don't get to do that. It's not because of his sin. Sometimes we might be tempted to think, well, because I've done this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, that's why God's telling me no. If I only get to be a little bit better, maybe God will. That's not the point. That's not what's going on with God. So David is at a place right now where it's not because of his sin. And just because something is, you know, a good work, like, men, that who, why wouldn't God want this? Because there is a different work that God has for David. And God has the work that David wanted to do for someone else. So let's just notice as we wrap this up. When David's told no, he responded really well. Okay, how does he respond? The first thing that I see that David does is this. David returns to God in prayer. He just comes immediately back to God and he starts this dialogue with God. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Chronicles 17, 16, and David the king came and sat before the Lord. And now he's going to start having this conversation. David just got a big no. All right, now I don't, I don't fully grasp what yours might be. I mean, you, you might be 45 years old and you said, at this point I thought God was going to do this and this and this. And it seems like God has just shut that down and he said no. You might, you might be, this would be something that we would understand, that, that Julie and I would understand. We thought God was going to bless us with this many children by this time in our life. You know, hey, pastor, we've been married for this long, and, and we don't have what we planned. It seems like God just keeps saying no. Is there something, you know, do I just have to confess something before God before I get my, that's not the point at all. When David's told no, he just comes before God and he just starts having this conversation with God. What he's recognizing is the one with whom I have to do is the one I'm going to go spend some time with right now. Now, this might be difficult for me, but I'm going to make sure that this line of communication is exactly where it's supposed to be. Look at the next thing that he does. David recognizes God's right. Okay, now, please understand the use of the word right. I know that God is always right. I get that, but that's not what I intend to say by this. David recognizes God has a right to do what he wants to do with what is his. Have you given God that same recognition of right? He has the right. Have you recognized it and even told God? 
God, I thought you were going to do this and this and this and this was my plan and this was, and you just pulled that completely out from underneath me. God said no to something that I was saying yes. And, and it was a good thing. Have you come before God and just said, God, you have a right to do what you desire to do. It's really what David does in verse number 16, 1 Chronicles 17. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? What is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Lord, who am I to tell you what you're going to do? Who am I to say what you can't do? Who am I to demand of you? Lord, this is what I'm, I'm going to build that temple, Lord. Who am I? Great question, David. What David does is he comes and he simply recognizes the one who has the right to do what he wants to do is not wearing this king's crown. There is another king to whom this king answers. What else does he do? There's a lot we could comment on that, but boy, how important David recognizes God's right. And then David responded with worship. He responds with worship. The Bible says this in 1 Chronicles 17, 20, O Lord, David speaking, there is none like thee, Neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Lord, there's none like you. Sometimes to help us understand the word worship, we add the word or connect the word worth to it. Worthship. Lord, there's none like you. Whatever you want, Whatever you desire, you are worthy of whatever it is that you choose to do. And I recognize that with my worship of you. Lord, there's none like you. David rejoiced in God, not only in God's reply. You know, sometimes we get all excited when God gives us the green light. Oh, and we say things like this, God, God is so good. Can we say God is so good when God says no just as easily as when God says yes? What David does is he rejoices in God, not just God's answer. Sometimes we, we say, oh, let me tell you how good God is. And then we talk about what God has done instead of the nature and character of God. Do you know you can always say that God is good? It, he is good, and I get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage, hey, um, um, you know, this happened in my life. I got the job, or the Lord blessed with a child, or hey, we're able to go on this trip, and somebody took care of me like this, and God is so good. Amen, he is, and it's a demonstration of that. But you know what David does? David says God's good even when God says no. And when we can say, God, you are good, even in his nose, we have come to a wonderful understanding of the greatness of our God. And the last thing that we'll mention is David redirected his efforts to be in line with God's answer. He redirects his efforts to be in line with God's answer. So God said, no, David, no. And David doesn't try to manipulate this. He says, okay, what's, what do you want? And God says, your son's going to build this. This is a son. God says there's a dual meaning to this. He says, I'm going to establish your kingdom. Well, he's going to establish the kingdom through Jesus Christ. 
But he's also going to do another work of establishing the kingdom through a son yet to be born through circumstances that are less than ideal. Bathsheba is the one who will be the the mother of Solomon. And Solomon will reign from David's throne. And Solomon will erect the most glorious, beautiful, costly, spectacular, visual building that the, the world may have ever seen. And so what does David do? David says, I, I, I wanted to be that person, but if God says no, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that Solomon succeeds. And the Bible even notes that, that this came at, at difficulty to David, at peril. This is not easy. You know, when God says no, and maybe he says yes to someone else, and we can do all that we can do to help someone other than ourselves do what we wanted to do, we have come to a wonderful place in our lives, in our relationship with God, even when God says no. I don't know where you're at in your life tonight, but if God has said no, that means he has a yes to something else. Let's trust God with his right to say no.